Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 2nd, 2019 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we'll hear from California Auditor's Office, Margarita Fernandez, Chief of Public Affairs and Quality Assurance and member of the Executive Management Team for the California State Auditor's Office. Her agency is tasked with overseeing the California citizen redistricting process. We'll suit up everyone for participating in that process. That's all of you, including the public meeting in Irvine, April 7th, right around the corner. In the second segment, Craig Tyrrell, Artistic Director of Wayward Artists, will talk about his troupe's second season opening April 12th in Santa Ana inside the Grand Central Arts Center. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My first guest is Margarita Fernandez. Margarita is the Chief of Public Affairs and Quality Assurance and is a member of the Executive Management Team for the California State Auditor's Office. Among her many roles, she is responsible for the outreach of the application and selection process for the 2020 Citizens Redistricting Commission. In my mind, and with all election geeks, these are these commissioners are rock stars. Margarita Fernandez oversees the internal quality control program of the office and for developing audit policies and procedures. Moreover, Margarita is the liaison to national professional organizations, including the National State Auditors Association, the National Association of State Auditors, Comptrollers and Treasurers, and the Intergovernmental Audit Forums. She completed her bachelor's in accounting from California State University, Sacramento, and is a certified public accountant and a certified government financial manager. She comes to us today from Sacramento. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Margarita Fernandez. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. Well, I, I really do mean that without any tongue-in-cheek about this rock star status of these commissioners. They're getting such good work done, keeping the process really clean, and that's why I take such pleasure in covering how this is going to work out with as many people on board to be applying for this. So let's begin, though, with a little, little civics lesson, just about very briefly making the distinction, it's an important one, between reapportionment and redistricting. Right. Well, reapportion. Well, every ten years after the census is taken, you, you know, the whole country goes through a process of um, ensuring uh, people have equal voice, equal vote. So the reapportionment process actually is what the U- United States congressional apportionment, where they go by and, and look at the seats that are in the U.S. House of Representatives, and they distribute the the number of seats amongst the 50 states based on the population, the census information. Now, redistricting is is something that every state across the nation will also be doing, and that is actually once we know uh, the number of seats uh, for congressional districts, we also, and once we know where the population is in California, then we have to go through a process of redrawing 
the district lines for uh, the state Senate, state assembly, the congressional seats as well, and then also the state board of equalization uh, lines so that we, we can have fairly equal districts so that people have a an equal voice. And I just checked around that the Brennan Center for Justice is estimating California's 53 congressional seats could hold it, 53, or there may be a lost one. But I, I'm not holding Margarita Fernandez to a, a, a projection of that, but that's just something that uh, just for Californians to think about the, uh, where, where we stand with that. So with the passages of Props 11 and 20, Back in the back in the day, the formulation of our redistricting commission was quite a feat. What models assisted the auditor's office? You know, the Proposition 11 in 2008 was an initiative that was approved by voters, and what it essentially did was it, it took away the responsibility of drawing redrawing district lines from the legislature and put it in the hands of a 14-member independent citizens redistricting commission and the way the uh, voters approved the the initiative or what the way the initiative was crafted is that it would have the california state auditor's office be responsible for the application and selection process of that commission so the independent redistricting process that was specified in this initiative was was different from uh, what had been happening in other states, and um, it, it, it actually is still different in aspects as it is from other states. In other states, they do have, they may not have the legislature drawing the lines, and they may have a commission or a committee or um, maybe the judges drawing lines, but each state is different. And so when we learned about this, because we didn't really know that we were in the process until uh, we saw the initiative. Oh, wow. Um, we did have to go through a whole series of crafting regulations uh, around the initiative, and really it was the first time that, was, that it was being done. So um, we were happy and pleased with our results. We, like I said, are responsible for the application and selection process. And then once the commission is, is fully formed, then the commission really is its own entity. So we're not responsible after they are fully formed and fully functioning, so the, the the commissioners continue to take on their responsibilities of actually going through and drawing the lines once we do this. But we will uh, be responsible for this every 10 years. And so now we're currently embarking on the outreach for uh, the application process for the 2020 Citizens Redistricting Commission. So you really had to come with some pretty uh, whole cloth with with setting all of this up. And you were saying only at, uh, after the initiative process was underway, not necessarily qualified on that. You were there. You realized you ha- you were charged with this amazing responsibility. Everybody watching to see what was going to happen next. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that that is different now than it was back then is, well, actually, this is probably similar. I mean, many people don't know who the California State Auditor is. Um, no. And so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't know, right? <laughs> well, it's the shiny uh, object thing. It's just yeah, not as shiny so, as some um, of those other objects. Yeah. But it so is. Are, yeah, it, right. We're an independent external auditor for the state of California. And uh, so we actually uh, do, we actually conduct work and audits of 
programs and financial operations as well of many of the, of the executive branch for the state of California. Um, we report results to the public. All our work is confidential until we issue reports. So we do report to the uh, an audit committee, a joint legislative audit committee, regarding um, audits that they approve. But we also, you know, we have a few other responsibilities, but we are an independent entity. And so I believe that what happened is when they were crafting the initiative that they they probably had us or, or designated our office to be the ones to, to uh, implement this application and selection process for the independent 40-member commission because we were a trusted voice. So, yes, we had to hit the ground running. We had to, we crafted regulations. We went up and down the state and had uh, public hearings on while we were crafting the regulations. And then we established and developed an, an online application process. We did everything as transparently as possible. Uh, we streamlined, uh, live streamed uh, many of the hearings so that people could participate, even if they were not um, in Sacramento or wherever we were having a, a hearing or a meeting. We put all the applications were, were online. The public had the opportunity to submit uh, comments on all the individuals that were applying. We had public hearings and live streamed the vetting process where we went through a, a whole, you know, it, maybe 5,000 applications and, to come up to the 60 of the most qualified and then went through the process there. So we, we made everything as transparent as possible, posted everything on our website, and we believe that that was Actually, that was that was a good thing. That's what we want government to be, right? Right, to be and as that's and, and Margarita, that it's it may sound to the sort of casual ear set that these are a lot of arcane regulations, and but all of this is an insurance policy that our elections are clean, right? All of this is, I mean, it, the selection process. We wanted to be open and transparent so that people could see what we were doing and so that they could trust in, in the process, trust in the 14 members that were being selected right. and, um, and hopefully become engaged in the whole process that they went through in mapping and uh, drawing the lines. And Margarita, do you also see then that the, this kind of process, it sets the tone for the whole civic dynamic in the state of California? I mean, it casts its shadow over many, many processes dealing with the elections. Right. You know, um, when the initiative, when they, they put the initiative in the ballot in 2008, some of uh, was behind it was that the lines were drawn kind of in, in, in closed meetings and right. that the public didn't have uh, an opportunity to participate. And, and it's, it, it's a process that affects every one of us and will have an impact on, our, um, on the next 10 years. So the initiative was written, and I believe voters approved it because they wanted the open process and a chance to participate in their future. And as we're all consuming news about the gerrymandering sort of extreme cases in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, I'm not I'm not putting you in a in a on the spot here about what your disposition is toward them, but I'm just saying it is it's sort of, that this process here. It, 
is sort is an acknowledgement that this gerrymandering and the partisan line drawing and all that hasn't served the one man one vote situation. So my guest, if you've just joined us, is Margarita Fernandez, Chief of Public Affairs and Quality Assurance, and is a member of the executive management team for the California State Auditor's Office. That's Elaine Howell, by the way. We, I don't think enough. Her name's never. It's not quoted enough. And Margarita, my guest, is talking about the elaborate and groundbreaking. California Redistricting Commission with a new appointment process underway. And you said there are 14 commissioners that will be appointed. The previous pool, I don't, I think you gave it a smaller pool. I read that there was the previous pool for these folks was 30,000 applicants and interested parties. Yes, our process is, um, yes, we we have an initial application process. And and the and a supplemental application process that, and then uh, interviews as well after that once we begin to dwindle to go through the applications and it sounds um, very complex and yes it was it should it be was probably a lot of work going through it but the whole process of redistrict itself and drawing the lines and and talking to the communities of interest it is a, a complex process so going through our application process we will in, in fact. This year, for the 2020 commission, we'll open up our initial application process on June 10th. It'll be an online application process. And the initial application is not too difficult. It's fairly easy to go through. Uh, We ask a series of questions because there are some things that that you can't can't be eligible to serve if if you've done certain things. Uh, For example, if you worked for the legislature, if you were a lobbyist, if a close family member uh, is uh, works for the legislature or is a lobbyist. And there's a few other things like that, or if you donated uh, over a certain dollar amount to some campaigns. So some of the initial application really is is the matter of going through and 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 kind of uh, looking at the the individual who's applying just to see if they're actually eligible to serve on the commission. Correct. The other thing is that a person must have voted in the last two general elections, and they mm-hmm. must have been in their party or a decline to state for continuously for the the previous five years so that you actually belong in that uh, party that you're declaring yourself to be in or declines to state so so there's certain things like that the initial application process takes you through it and it's like i said fairly easy last time i know i was speaking at an event and while i was speaking somebody had just applied oh fine <laughs> yeah so that is good so that process will run from June 10th through August 9th, and then after that, those individuals who applied, which are uh, last time we had about 30,000 that applied in that initial application process, then those individuals are invited to continue into the process. So the next step of the process is a supplemental application, and they have, there will be a supplemental application process for a month, so it'll run from August 12th through uh, September 11th. And there they That's will fast. ask, we will ask more questions and, and they're a little bit more uh, involved, but it's because we're getting at the, the criteria that individuals, well, that a panel that looks at the applications will be looking for. And that criteria was set in the proposition itself. So when last time, uh, when we started this process, when we uh, went through the process, we had about 30,000 that applied the first in the initial application. Then about close to 5,000 continued in the process and they 
completed their supplemental application. They also had letters of recommendation. And then that's the, the applications that went into to a panel to start looking through the applications. So the, it, is it true then that with the, the role there, the first eight commissioners that are selected in turn then, they're involved in selecting the, the last six commissioners? They are. After the supplemental application period, is over, uh, we have an applicant review panel that actually reviews the applicants for the qualifications, and they identify 120 of the most qualified applicants. Now, the commission itself is made up by statute of five Democrats, five Republicans, and four that do not belong to either of those two parties or uh, belong to another party or are declined to state. And that's in the statute itself. So what happens is after the application period, uh, the supplemental application period, this applicant review panel uh, begins to review the applicant qualifications and over the next six months is identifying 120 of the most qualified applicants. And they will have public hearings and they will discuss what their, what, uh, their decisions are when they, they begin to dwindle down to 120 of the most qualified applicants. They'll have... 40 in each of those sub-pools that I talked about before, 40 Democrats, 40 Republicans, and 40 that belong to another party or are declined to state. And then after that, they will conduct uh, interviews, and those will all be public as well. We will be live streaming everything. And then ultimately, their responsibility is to identify 60 of the most qualified applicants, which would be 20 in each of those sub-pools. Margarita, um, before you, I want before you un, um, package more of that. I just want to know <laughs> that the decline to state those four slots that are open for them, it has to, it will be demonstrated that they were declined to state in the last two general elections. They participated. It couldn't be somebody could decide a slate of hand to change their uh, Republican or Democratic registration to decline to state just in time to be an, a declined to state applicant for the redistricting commission. That is correct. They have to have voted in the last two general elections, and you have to have been affiliated with your party or set. or declined yeah. to state or whatever your, your voter registration status is for the previous five years. So now you've, you've seen a, a few forms out there. What makes a good commissioner? Well, the criteria that was um, in the initiative and the statute itself and what the, the panel will be looking for is the ability to be impartial, that they have uh, analytical skills, and that they have an appreciation for California's diversity. So um, those are the criteria that the, the applicant review panel will be looking at in the applications. And in fact, the supplemental application um, has questions regarding those areas, particularly because those, that, that is what they're looking for. And I, I guess on that application, are there references, people that attest to the kinds of function of the background of those applicants? Yes. It's actually, to, be, to have a complete application, they are, the applicant also has to have three letters of recommendation. So that's all included in one package. But in addition to that, we'll be providing the information online. Um, all the applications will be online. The public is encouraged to go online and, and look at who's yes. applying. And 
submit public comments if they have uh, if they know of the individual that's uh, that has applied. So absolutely, we encourage that. So there's many roles involved. There's the commissioners that are the applicants for this this role. There's the community organizer, and there's persons representing communities of interest. Those are essential functions in this entire process. Could tell us what the community organizer is about and the persons representing communities of interest. So, well, I, I believe that once the commission is selected and they are starting to uh, draw maps, I believe they have hearings, they, they meet with different people to discuss the, the lines. But right now, during this application and selection process, which is which is what we're responsible for, the people we're, we are going to speak at a variety of events to encourage people to apply. We're also working with a number of different organizations and just community members so that they will encourage people to apply for the to the commission. We're going to talk to them about what the process is, what we're looking for, what the timelines are, what the commissioners will be responsible for, because the communities uh, the, and the different organizations, they really know, you know, everybody has a network, right? You and I, right. uh, we all have a network. Right. And they are really instrumental in, in this whole process about getting the work, the word out about this opportunity every decade. You know, it's once every day, decade, correct? So it, they are really instrumental in helping us get the word out and helping uh, reach people that they know that are eligible to serve and that and that will do a good job. So we are partnering with different organizations. We are um, reaching out to various communities so that they can help us spread the word. And and that's what we're doing here, folks. So when do you see the actual commission being seated? Will be after the 2020 general election, correct? Well, the actual commission um, has to be, uh, we will be randomly selecting the first eight commissioners. We have to by August 15th. We're hoping by July, but August 15th, 2020, so that they can begin their work. Um, so that we randomly select, select the first eight commissioners, and then those eight commissioners select right. the remaining six using the information we provide them with the applications that were still um, in uh, kind of in the running when right. we when we randomly selected the first eight. So they actually select the remaining six. And what's the deadline then, for that selection of six? It's a good question. They have to be fully operational um, no later than December 2020. Okay. So after the election then. And then... Oh, and there are going to be so many moving parts after that. With the after the, that, there's going to be moving parts. Yes. So many uh-huh. maps and and well, and there will be that reapportionment will have taken place. California will not know how many actual seats if it, there is a change in the 53. So and that's what they're. In. But we're not going to hold you to the mapping of the night. I'd have lots of questions about whether you know. Well, I do want to ask the one that put you a little bit on okay. the spot, but not totally. It's, it's that. Have you been asked by other states for technical assistance and how to pull off something this great? Have we been? You know, we have other states um, when. You know, we, we um, belong to national organizations like you, you, you talked about. You're and so other states, when they have been at task to do something, like, or that when they're considering, they have asked us about the application and selection process, how we went about it, 
and you know they're they're also looking at how much it would cost something like this would cost as well so we have been asked by a few other states um, over the over the years um, so since we we did this uh, ten years ago as different states uh, discuss their redistricting process we have been asked by a few states but we haven't been you, you know they haven't formally come in and, and asked us for certain information, uh, but they have uh, reached out to us. It kind of makes me, thinking about this whole process, it makes me wish that the Supreme Court has a very acute peripheral vision and they can see while they're getting a case for uh, about gerrymandering, they can see how it's being done elsewhere so that the standard of transparency and the neutrality of a process could be a f- factor in assessing how a very skewed process is undermining, you know, the democratic process. So I I would bring that up with our Rick Hassan here at the law school, but maybe I'll, I'll say that for that. But I, I did have to bring that up. So uh-huh. let's go on. We've got, and it's a, a, the League of Women Voters are going to be putting on, on the Sunday, April 7th, from 1230 to 230 at our beloved Duck Club. And then there will be another forum in Fullerton at their police department on April 28th. So what do you suggest people do to follow the process, get on board, and start dusting off their resumes and uh, be a part of this amazing process. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, we have um, started a website. It's called shapecaliforniasfuture.auditor.ca.gov. I know it's really long, but it's shapecaliforniasfuture.auditor.ca.gov. This is where uh, we will be posting all our information on the application and selection process. This is where once the application period starts, this is where you will be applying. This is where the public can go to get information on who's applying. We're going to have information uh, so that people can look to see what the demographic information is about uh, the number of people that are applying and if their community has been represented or not. And they can look to see if, if... they can reach out to other people as well. So that shapecaliforniasfuture.auditor.ca.gov. We have contact information. There's a 1-800 number on there as well. And that is also the place where you can right now go and sign up so that you can receive email notifications about events that we're going to be participating in, about anything that's going on with the whole process, about when the application period starts, deadlines and timelines. There's also additional information there about all the timelines and um, frequently asked questions as well. And I just wanted to mention that there will be uh, actually at these public forums for commissioners, for seating, sitting commissioners, Jody Wilkins Weber, Jean Araya, Peter Yao, and Andre Parvenu, they will be, I believe, in Irvine. So it'll be, those rock stars will be present for for questions. So that, that'll that be very cool. And then I just, in addition to Margarita Fernandez's Shape California's, there's an S at the end of California. Like yes, there is. <laughs> future.auditor.ca.gov. There's also a, a lovely uh, website, We Draw the Lines. Dot ca dot gov and that's a trove as well so it's it's my shoehorning and yet another reference well any other advisors other than I want to know if if uh, somebody in your office will get a hold of me and we would produce a public service announcement that people will hear during baseball games while they're oh, chilling yeah 
Oh, that would be awesome. We will contact you immediately. <laughs> but I do want to um, just make sure that everybody knows that shapecaliforniasfuture.auditor.ca.gov is where the 2020 uh, Citizens Redistricting Commission application selection process is at. We Draw the Lines is the uh, Citizens Redistricting Commission, the current commission's website, but where all the information for the application and selection process for the 2020 commission, they should go to shapecaliforniasfuture.ca.auditor.ca.gov. So, but, and, and We Draw the Lines might be a nice sort of a, a kind of a, a primer for how to be a really good applicant. Sure, that would be, well, that would be a good place to get information about what the commission did. And, you know, if you want to know kind of the day in the life, the commissioners yes. absolutely would be the the, the source for that. Um, back in 2008, we could only speculate what their day in the life would be, but now we, we have commissioners who could tell us. So they are a valuable source. And uh, I guess there's no Brown Act uh, situation here. I was told that when they're they're coming, it's uh, the, the ones that are coming to the, the Irvine Forum. So, and I, I really am, that's one cool hood to look under on Sunday. Just after Hebrew school, Sunday school services, everybody can head over to the Duck Club, 1230 to 230, or Fullerton, or there will be many, many other forms as Margarita Fernandez. Well, I really appreciate your calling in this interview today, Margarita Fernandez. Thanks so much for joining us on Ask a Leader. Okay, and thank you for having us here. My guest was Margarita Fernandez, Chief of Public Affairs and Quality Assurance, and is a member of the executive management team for the California State Auditor's Office. And she's talking, just talked today about the elaborate and groundbreaking California Redistrict Commission with a new appointment process underway. We'll be right back after a station break with my good friend here, Craig Terrell, who's already queued up, ready to go. Thanks for staying with us all. We'll be right back after station break. John Beasley, his Letter to Herbie CD, and that track is 4 a.m. Thanks for staying with us, everybody. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Craig Terrell, and he is the artistic director of the Wayward Artist Productions, inaugurated last year in Santa Ana. Craig began a professional acting, directing, and teaching career after having completed his Master's of Fine Arts. He earned his Bachelor's of Arts in Philosophy at Richard Stockton College of New Jersey and his MA in Theology at Villanova University. He teaches beginning actors at Cal State University Fullerton, as well as Shakespeare for the actor and script analysis. As an actor, his most memorable role was as Evan in Teresa Rebeck's adaptation of A Dollhouse, for which he was nominated by the American College Theater Festival for Regional Festival. As a co-director, he received the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival's National Award for Outstanding Direction of the Musical Godspell. Cal State University's University Creative Activity and Research Award, a Perth Fringe Festival Critics' Choice Award for his direction of Eleanor's story Anne, American Girl Living in Nazi Germany, and Cal State University Fullerton's Outstanding Nomination 2016. He wrapped 
the Wayward Artist Banner season last fall, and now joins me once again in studio to talk about season two. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Craig Terrell. Good morning, Claudia, and I am glad to be back. So, what did you learn from the first season toward preparing for the numero dos? Uh, So many things. I think primarily that it takes a village, and uh, running a theater company and starting a theater company requires uh, the right people in the right places, and, uh, and sort of finding all our spots in the right places, knowing who was doing marketing and and uh, who's heading up social media and sort of finding our places within uh, within the company in our first year was where most of our growth happened, I think. Were you letting people specialize or were they they were carrying multiple roles? Well, the multiple Acting roles, and yeah. Outreaching and all that. We're, we're an ensemble of all different uh, you know scopes of expertise so we've got our lighting designer and our directors and our actors but you know theater companies also about marketing and and uh audience development and educational outreach and business relationships and and uh, so we all share in those responsibilities and finding our strengths in those in the first year has been uh part of our development. Well, I, I jumped on setting up this interview, so we saved somebody a little time. Yay. We'll get to, so get back. So what are the themes you're striking this season? It seems there's a little, there's a family thing, but yes. a much, but a very pronounced family. Yeah, we are looking at family. Uh, we recognize that we are a family of artists, and in our play selection for season two, we, we found the theme of family. And, uh, and we're just interested. Families are all different shapes and sizes and types and, and uh, wholesome and dysfunctional and single parent. And sometimes family is community. And so we're exploring all the different aspects of family in uh, this season, our second season. And I just want to say, as a, as a patron and an, in a, un, you know, self, not self-effacing, but unassuming kind of patron is that theater is work for us it's it's really it's wrenching it's in and interesting at the same time and it's and i find as hard work as it is to be a patron it's worth every increment of energy we put into being that patron that's wonderful to hear that you know there's as a patron that you're it's not just that you're recognizing it's not just about entertainment but challenging the way you think and our world the way we live in I'm, i appreciate to hear that sometimes when i when i have amazing theater experience i feel like i'm in in an insect collection i'm being pinned to yeah. that styrofoam platform and then and then wow i remember i remember seeing you after our production of corpus christi oh yeah and uh yeah we poked the insect there a little bit oh a whole your... lot <laughs> oh yeah that's well that's that was a banner that's why it was such a success that yeah. you went out with a real a major yeah. roar well um tell us about this season's talent in you were talking about there's different roles here that you're refining the acting the writing setting producing directing and all, all the people that you've recruited talk about oh, those folks are they mainly old, from yeah. cal state fullerton no we've got a lot of uh, a lot of exciting new artists uh, um, that are part of our family and then uh, that outside our family as well. Um, 
you know, we're 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 bringing on our first equity uh, actor oh. this summer in our production of Strong Arm. So that's uh, one of our goals that we're exciting excited to meet in this next season. We are producing uh, a world we'll, premiere. We'll go into the new... play specifically, but we'll just talk about your talent. Yeah. So the one of our artists has written an adaptation of an Anton Chekhov play. So that'll be a word, world premiere for us. Um, so does that social media look different when you're doing world premieres? I mean, you, it's a whole different kind of a list, a roster of places you're going to reach to. Uh, yes, it does. And uh, when then with the world premiere, um, the it opens you up to publicity in a way that if you're doing somebody else's work, you don't get. So we're hoping to get some reviews uh, being a world premiere. Um, yeah, it's exciting, exciting thing for us and, and, a, and a goal that we're reaching already so so and are you do you have some talent right there from your classes you're drawing from uh, uh from my students yes that I teach um yes uh the it's interesting um there's always a healthy cal state fullerton uh talent pool that we draw upon but uh that's always exp- already now in season two we're getting a large chapman contingency oh and uh we're partnered with santa Ana community college and uh, the local high schools in santa Ana, um uh which is exciting for us too um because we're not the t- cal state fullerton theater no no um, but but that's where you're drawing from elsewhere yeah. mm-hmm. and maybe community members do they come from out of the woodwork yeah the santa Ana. Uh, the local neighborhoods down there, um, the businesses down there, we're definitely feeling that that is our home and that roots are being established, uh, not just within the people that live there, but within the community, the civic leaders, the business owners. Um, definitely feels like our home. Do patrons turn into actors? Uh, uh, yes and no. I, you know, there's... Lots of people have the acting bug within them, and uh, any show uh, can flame that little fire within. Mm-hmm. Um, so multiple occasions I've left a show where somebody is wants to get engaged or involved or be part of where they're at in terms of their training is, is a different story. But um, Right, right, of course. For those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI. FM and Irvine streaming all over the web. You know all of this stuff, guys. KUCI.org and all social media platforms. My guest is Craig Tyrrell, Cal State Fullerton Theater Professor and Artistic Director of the Wayward Artists Productions, which are based in Santa Ana at the Grand Central Art Center inside that structure. And we're going to open up with Next to Normal is the big, is the first of the plays that you will be presenting starting April 12th. It'll run through April 28th. Talk about Next to Normal. I'm super excited. This is uh, the only show that I'm going to direct in this season. I'm, I'm excited to take a little break from directing. I've been going nonstop for some time. <laughs> but I fell in love with Next to Normal in graduate school. My friend, colleague, business partner, managing director, Kristen Campbell. Um, we It began as a collaboration when we were still in graduate school, and uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize, Tony Wynn award, award-winning show about mental illness and uh, a mother who is suffering from mental illness and the, and the family disease that mental illness is. And uh, we, we are tremendously excited to produce this. It's been a uh, 
on my list of top 10 list of things to direct for a long time. I see it's an award-winning production, but yeah. do you need still to put in some sorts of trigger warnings? We had them over here with Parliament Square that Jane Page directed on campus, but do you have to put that in there with the suicide and the drug abuse and the grief issues? You know, that's an interesting question. I the I was speaking with a high school teacher earlier in the week that was felt that it wasn't appropriate for high school age, and I kind of took a little bit of exception with that because I... They might need it. Yeah, I teach it. I, I, I teach the play in my script analysis class, and I've been teaching it for years because the kids identify with it and uh, and I want to talk about it and deal firsthand with everything from depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and cutting, and and uh, and given a platform to talk about it, students will open up about it. And I feel like high schools uh, is not any different than, a, than the college demographic, and I feel that it is appropriate. Um, there's not, I mean, there's a, a couple uh, language issues, but it's by no means, you know, not something they're not laden. seeing. Uh, <laughs> it's the the daughter is in high school, and uh, you know, I think the most disturbing thing, I guess, is, you know, the boyfriend that smokes pot. But I believe it. Part of the reason I think it won the Pulitzer Prize is because we were dealing with mental illness, talking about it frankly and openly in a society that wants to keep it in the shadows. And I just think that's an important conversation for all age levels. All right. The next play you'll be presenting is Strong Arm. Strong Arm. July 12th through July. No, they're all ending in 28 for so, for the first part. Yeah. Uh, that's a world premiere, as you were saying. You're talking about Wynn Moreno's. Yes. He's one of His... our resident artists, uh, graduate uh, MFA in acting. And uh, it is an adaptation of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull, set in the world of professional baseball. And uh, mm. it's really about mother-son relationship and what we, you know, parents trying to live vicariously through their children and a parent's hopes for one's child's life and the children's hopes for their own life and sort of that conflict that can arise sometimes when uh, uh, what we want and what our parents want aren't quite the same thing. And uh, when I was looking at this summer, I was thinking of, oh, let's hope that Wynn Moreno's already penned this whole thing. It's done. And we have the college admission scandal with the snow plowing parent yeah. being like the central figure. Let, let's, the snow plowing could be a part of that play, but he's, he's done. And yeah. it could be, he could tweak it a little bit yeah, I later. I see the parallel. Round. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that, those factors are all going yeah. on. Well, so that we want to make sure we get to talk about. Did you want to say anything more about Strong Arm? I mean, so just again, as I said earlier, um, we're gonna that will be the first equity contract that we are executing, which is exciting for us. Um, it's uh, directed by a professional director named Mark Stevens, yes. uh, which we are excited to have as well. Um, there's a small chance I might even be acting in it, but oh. Uh, my MFA is in acting, but I, I don't act uh, much. I direct far more, but once a leap year, sometimes I'll come out of the woodwork, but there's a small chance. Acting muscle memory yeah. maybe. Yeah, a little in. bit. A little tiny bit. It'll be nice to be on the other side of the table for once, you know. I do enjoy acting, but well, small but chance. Does that make like open up a trough around you with your fellow actors when you show up there as the artistic director? Showing up on stage, that's just, that's a little, there's a few liabilities there, no? Uh, that's, that's a good, I don't know, I don't know. Um, ha hazards, not liabilities. Yes. They, they got to watch out for that. And then there's next of Ken, a dance collaborative. You had a dance collaborative last year. Yes. And this one will be September 20th through the 29th. Tell us about what 
that is as opposed to the theater pieces you've been doing? Yeah, dance is part of our company. It has been from, from the very beginning. Um, we've had wonderful success last year uh, with our dance collaborative. Uh, we had worked with a musician, uh, a composer, to compose brand new music uh, for this dance collaborative. Our director of dance, Natalie Baldwin, um, she's going to be through modern dance uh, exploring all the different types of family and uh, from the dysfunction to mothers and, and single families and and uh, excited about that one. It's beautiful. It's, it's Our venue is a small 73 seat thrust space and experiencing dance in a small venue like that, uh, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's super powerful. Hence my insect pinned to the yeah. styrofoam thing. It, it's... Yes. And... I mean, I just got to say, it's you didn't ask me to say this. I'm saying this on my own. I, it just, mar, I marvel at how community theater can be so unassuming and you walk in and it just is devastating the how intense that theater experience is there. So I'm just trying to do everything I can, Craig, to put you on the map. <laughs> and it is much appreciated. So that's next of kin, the dance. Is there, um, where are the dancers coming from? Um, she auditions them, um, and uh, the local universities, graduates, um, will we'll post auditions, and, and uh, she will recruit her own dancers and aud- audition them as well. All yeah. like past high school, not like St. Joseph's drawing from well, the, younger ones. Well, this one, because it's family, um, so oh. there, there, there will be younger dancers. Um, at our holiday gala where we we sort of showcase uh, the season, um, she had choreographed a beautiful, beautiful mother-daughter piece. And this, the, the young dancer, she was probably nine, um, but danced with the soul and maturity of a uh, sort of college dancer. It was just so beautiful to see uh, such talent between uh, a mother and, and daughter. But so the, I, I, I do She getting called young, back? Um, I... I, I if not already cast, would be my okay. Guess. Okay, but good, yeah. Good. So this because it's family. I, I think we might expect uh, dancers of all ages. Okay, and then the final theater piece will be God of Carnage yeah. from November eighth through the seventeenth. Ever since it went out on Broadway, and I believe it was at the Music Center in L.A. I've missed this. I've been so looking forward to. I mean, this is the end of the season. I can't wait. It's by Yasmina Reza, a Persian American, and that's that's a big deal. That what she brings into that. So, you how how come you chose this one, Craig? Well, because wanted a little com. It is a it is a dark comedy, but a, but a com- comedy nonetheless. Uh, so we wanted some comedy in the season. It'll be directed by our artist, our associate artistic director Sarah Ripper. Uh, it's about two parents who kids have misbehaved, and they have to get together to talk about it, and and uh, end up being no uh, more well behaved than the children themselves. So it's 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 about adults being like children in some ways, um, but definitely a dark comedy and outrageous in, in, on many levels. So with seventy three patrons in there, everybody the dark comedy people might be laughing at different times. Yes. That's a little. That's a little uh-huh. intricate dance itself. Well, all the predictions there will be at the same place at the Grand Central, Grand Central Arts, Arts Center. Center in the downtown historic Arts District of Santa Ana, one two five North Broadway. That's it. Let's put that on your your map of all kinds. So and it's so as a, a god of carnage. It's just like within now. No flights. No four oh five trips. It's right there. Yes. Downtown Santa Ana. So then you've sold out. 
from what I could see, you were selling out all your performances. So the second season, does that make it easier or does it make it harder? Uh, we had a wonderful first season. Uh, and you're right, we, we sold out completely a Godspell, Twelfth Night of Galactic Farce. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, there's a little bit of pressure, but, but you know, we have great faith in each other and what we're doing. And, and, and uh, so far... You know, next to normal, the advanced ticket sales are higher than anything that we've done so far, and and uh, we believe we're right on track to um, have a successful second season. And uh, are you going to now? I, we talked a little bit last time you were here about the Kickstarter campaign. So mm -hmm. that opened and closed, and opened what happened? and closed, and we've got twelve thousand dollars worth of new lighting in our space, LED uh, lighting. Ah. Um, there was an air conditioning problem with our space, and. Uh, uh, traditional lighting uh, puts off a tremendous amount of heat and it was too hot in our space so we needed to change to an all LED grid to cool the place down so that was a important first equipment purchase in our first year well but Corpus Christi had to have t-shirts off yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> had to have that. yes. okay so um, and do you have something in the way of the improv theater sort of like a was it a monthly kind yeah, of a setup there? We uh, we support a um, improv troupe named Best Coast Improv. It is led by uh, one of our own resident artists, um, but we are proud to host them. They perform every first Saturday of the month as part of the Santa Ana Arts Walk that takes place every first Saturday. Okay. Well, what are the best ways to follow What's going on at The Wayward Artist? Follow us on Facebook at The Wayward Artist OC. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter. We send out a monthly newsletter. Uh, you can uh, uh, join the newsletter through our website, which is thewaywardartist.org. That is to find all out of all, all about us, our season, by tickets, uh, is through our website, thewaywardartist.org. Uh, and then we do you know, have a following on Twitter and Instagram as well. And for always the first... Saturday of the month when all the galleries are open there is the Grand Central is open and people can pick up your printed materials printed yes materials like I can't make it an audible here <laughs> so that that'll be it'll be a really remarkable season Craig thanks for taking the time to be on it is a pleasure Claudia you're one of our favorites oh well please thank you for being on that was Craig Tyrrell he's artistic director of the wayward artist and uh, the productions, they're based uh, there in the Santa Ana, as I said, the Grand Central Art Center. Next to Norval will be the first performance of this year's season, 125 North Broadway inside the Grand Central Art Center. That was my wrap. Next week, I'm going to have on Kimberly Dong, UCI Engineering PhD candidate and Climatepedia co-founder. She has a way with bringing science to happy hours. We'll talk a little bit about that among her other flares. Then, Daryl Akon of the Long Beach Opera with this season's Justice Themes. They're already on an amazing start with performances and community forums. Talk with you next week, unless you tune in to Weekly Signals this Friday. I'll be there with Nathan Callahan this Friday at 8 a.m. Thank you for listening, everyone. Talk to you next week. Uh -huh.